You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the Wiz and Cricket Weekly Podcast. Before we start today's show, how does the offer of free beer sound to you? The kind people at Beer52 are offering a free case of eight craft beers sourced and created from the best breweries on the planet. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash wisdom and cover the £5.95 postage fee. Each case is delivered directly to your doorstep so there's no need to leave the house. That's beer52.com forward slash wisdom. Anyway, on with the show. After barely winning a session in the test at all, England somehow emerged from the first test of the Pakistan series with a three-wicket win, thanks largely to a 139-run partnership for the sixth wicket between Joss Butler and Chris Wokes. I'm Yaz Rana, and discuss that England win, how England and Pakistan are likely to line up for the second test in Southampton, some record-breaking performances in the Willis. He's the managing editor of Wizen.com, Ben Gardner, and TV superstar and the face of well-kept bookshelves everywhere, Phil Walker. If you have no idea what I'm on about, Phil, you're on the... Sky Cricket Debate Show after the final day of Manchester. Um, how was that? Pleasant experience? Did you, did you miss I, the crew? I'll have you know that that bookshelf only took four hours to curate. <laughs> all right. You know, I just threw it together. Um, and the painting, that was my mum's handiwork on, on the side of the bookcase. The rest is mere detail, obviously. You know, you're nothing without a, a well-kept bookcase in, in these troubled times. Um, I did feel like... Um, I'd been duped into something though because I, I went all out on my back backdrop and Mark Butcher, Matt Pryor and Bazid Khan had uh, uh, the combined total of one painting and that was it. Uh, so they went Spartan, I went over the top and I think that probably fed into the overall conversation. Well, did, did you see what happened earlier in the summer with uh, Tom Harrison's sort of pictures behind him no. on, on his ECB Zoom call? So he, he was doing, or he was doing the, the Sky whatever their show was during lockdown. Right. Uh, and had some sort of like like nondescript pictures of, of beaches, basically, the kind of things you'd get in like a hotel room. Oh, yes. And I yes. think Jonathan Lou went after it. pointed yeah. out, and then next show, they were they were down. Really? Yeah. The power of the media, eh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it was all right. Cheers for asking. Yes, thank you. I, I miss you all terribly, of course. Excellent. You know, but, but you, you know, you've got to earn a crust, haven't you, here and there? Uh, but now we're back on the real thing. Absolutely. Let, let's start with that extraordinary test match. Ben, you wrote a lovely piece on Wisdom.com called... It the, was lovely. The Miracle of Manchester. Thank you. Um, really lovely. We've been spoiled a bit by how exciting England have been to watch over the last couple of years. Not just the craziness of the World Cup and heading last summer, but that India series of 2018 was crazy as well. Um, but that, that, was an, that was an absolute classic of a test match. 
Yeah, I think so. And and you're especially Headingley. If it wasn't for Headingley, I think you were saying this the other day that this test would be kind of revered, really, in a way where it's just now like another in a series of like great test matches that England have played. Uh, but yeah, and especially with the stories of who dominated the test match. Obviously, you had Sean Massoud who averaged 16 against England coming into this game in four tests, just Jimmy Anton over him and then plays one of the great innings by an overseas opener in England, really sort of doughty at first. And then sort of when it was just him and a very long tail sort of opening up and going past 150 was amazing. And then obviously Wokes, who had been out of form with the bat and kind of underrated with the ball or not spoken about the ball to the extent that you kind of thought that when it came to choosing between Archer, Jimmy, Broad and him, that he might just slip out kind of by default because the other guys would almost make more of a fuss about it and just goes and plays like, uh, I can't think of an innings by a a number seven in a chase like it. Uh, And obviously... It's very Jermaine Blackwood, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, it was a little bit, yeah. Um, In that attack, best form of defence, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a... A good touch point. I'm, I'm sure he'll he'll almost be aiming for higher than Jermaine Blackwood with his uh, with his test batting going forward. But Butler was, and I think I said that he was the uh, he was the man of the test in that you know kind of struggling down and out for for most really. And, th- and there were stages when he was keeping in the in the first innings, especially when there was. And, and in a way, you can't really punish a keeper for this sort of mistakes. It's almost not the kind of thing you would practice too much. And it was right at the end. But when Masood got to his 150 and he had kind of a shy at the non-striker's end with his gloves still on and kind of got it wrong. And you just kind of like, kind of like throw his head back. And go, oh, <laughs> another, another thing that's gone wrong. Excuse me? <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Butler's not, he's, he's, he's not, he's, he likes a bit of a swear every now and then. So I'm sure. You know, yeah, this is a family show, Ben. <laughs> Uh, and, and you kind of thought, is this... And Because remember when he was dropped the last time from the test side, or the last but one time, and he said he was kind of glad to be dropped, and it kind of you got those kind of vibes. And then his sister posted on Twitter at the end of his innings, but that he'd been told the night before his innings that his father was in hospital, to then come out and play with that kind of clarity, I think, to, to real... Because, I mean, if, you know, it's very easy to go into your shell knowing that your test career is kind of on the line with one innings and actually to go and to know that that's not the way to go and to, to attack and to, 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 to like, and to, but not to, you know, lose his head and slog and get out because, you know, who cares anyway, was I think remarkable. Yeah, it was an amazing test match and so many amazing stories through it. I agree. Also, his 38 in the first innings was a massively yeah. important knock. Uh, technically excellent. Um, they were brilliant. Pakistan in that session against England's top order, England were struggling when, when he came in and steadied the ship, just got out straight after lunch, unfortunately. But, but I think you're, you're absolutely right on Butler. I think he's, he's an intriguing, quite a deep character. Um, and his interview at the end of the game was quite revealing. He said that um, this may well have been his last game. He was conscious of that. As you say, his body language reflected that, I think, when he was in the field. Those three mistakes behind the stumps the first two I mean a really good keeper would fancy that they'd they'd pull it off uh, but they were very excusable misses the third one I think was a consequence of the first two Um, and also he dropped one one catch one chance um, in the 10 test matches before that as keeper so you know I think we have to keep that in perspective Um, and yeah to to bat like that on that final day 
And it may well have been, as we see with cricketers sometimes, that he may have been liberated by the sense that this is his, this is a now or never moment for him. Not that I personally saw it like that. And I'm not even sure the England selectors would have seen it like that either, to be honest. Uh, but he clearly felt that and he would have felt a responsibility to the team. Uh, and to have pulled it off with that kind of composure. Wokes delightfully gets the headlines, but that last day belonged to Butler. Uh, and the, the conversation will continue to gurgle around social media, uh, but I'm glad that at least for a few days it can be stilled and uh, we can just get on with life. How much credit do you think they deserved as a, as a pair for the way they batted? Um, England were really struggling. They weren't, bat- they weren't batting that fluently. Up until that point, at 117 for five, you know, all, all hope was pretty much gone. And then to come and basically counter-attack their way to victory on a pitch that was doing quite a lot, the ball that got Ollie Pope out from Shaheen, like spitting off the pitch. Um, it's quite brave to bat the way they did and then to execute it as well. Doubly impressive. Yeah, well, I, I wrote in the piece that that Ollie Pope ball, in a weird way, kind of won England the Test match. Because, yeah, very uh, true. Because, like, they've kind of realised that, like, you're just not going to be able to stick around this pitch. Eventually, one is going to do something something weird and that'll be it so they and but I think I think the, the thing as well is they weren't just looking for for boundaries there was a, a stat going around that in the entire what, 39 over the partnership there wasn't a single maiden bold so they were kind of just relentlessly kind of taking the way a game from the game away from Pakistan uh unfortunately I think I slightly disagree with Phil on the keeping point not not that I'm saying it's a terminal thing but, but I think it does still need to be in the discussion, I can't think of a pitch that he's kept on actually since at least since he got the gloves back that has turned this much, which seems odd to say because he's you know it's been a reasonable amount of time, but he's you know played in South Africa, New Zealand, uh, and while he ha- he doesn't drop many catches, especially he's a, a very competent keeper against pace. I think he's never completed a test stumping and Correct, has, has yeah. missed a few in that time. And and you felt that he hasn't actually, mm. um, according to Crickviz, he the first stumping opportunity in the last ten test matches preceding this last one um the first stumping that he missed in the last 11 therefore was actually that one at Old Trafford okay. according to Crickviz okay um but so to so take it up with them fine I yeah uh, but, 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 but yeah obviously it's a huge question mark going into India of course it's five test matches turning pitches um you saw how effective folks was if, if folks is indeed the answer in Sri Lanka um but what what Butler has shown quietly I think in the last couple of weeks is not just ticker, but technique mm. as well. Yeah, he's batted really well all summer. Yeah, and, and, you know, I've always had faith that he has the, not just the minerals, but also the the approach for test cricket. I've always believed that. I've always uh, backed that thought. Um, and I could well see in India that, you know, that Butler plays as a number six and, and Folks plays as a number seven. I could easily see that playing out, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, I don't dispute that folks is the superior wicketkeeper. And when you go out there, uh, it will be all, all the more pressing a question, sure. But what what Butler has shown, again, it's not the first time in the two or three years since he's been back in the side, is that he can do both jobs. Uh, and when he's batted, only as a batsman in the past, he's done very well for England. And he averaged around 40-odd with just as a batsman, so... Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyway, let's park the Butler story for a week or two, shall we? Okay. He's, bat- he's batted well with three tests in a, in a row now, and he, he hasn't had the 100. It's, I think scoring 100 would get a lot of people off his back, um, even though I think that inning should definitely help. Um, I agree with you that uh, Butler should have got more credit than he did at the end of the game. Wokes got most of the headlines, but just quickly on Wokes. 
he's he's such a good cricketer, uh, <laughs> and I don't know at the start of the summer, like I don't think any of us picked him picked him in in our in elevens. Maybe maybe Joe did, but he's been so good with the ball. He's won England and match room number seven with the bat. And we were talking the other day about his kind of progression as a Test cricketer. At, at twenty seven, he played six Tests, a bowling average of sixty three, and at thirty one now, he's as good a cricketer as he's probably ever been. Mm. Yeah, and I think almost the conversation now can almost move on from Wokes being underrated to really the question of whether he is the person to help England move on whenever we enter the post-Anderson world, which is kind of when he made his debut, that was what the the thing was that, you know... Seven years ago. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) that that he was the guy to kind of, you know, ease that transition or to to, to be the new James Anderson. And then all of a sudden he's 31 and Anderson's still here. Hmm. But now he's kind of putting in these, these kind of Anderson like performances with the ball where you know there's there's not a single bad ball where he's making the most conditions and it was only what two tests over the winter but there was the evidence that um like maybe he's starting to figure out how to to bowl in places that that aren't England so I think that that'll be the the next challenge him I suppose will be you know when when he can't I guess go under line when he is taking the new ball when he has to take new ball wickets every time uh and and whether he I'm fairly really confident he can but I think that is now hopefully the next stage of Wokes' career will be almost England's attack leader or at least, you know, mm. new ball bowler. He, he didn't actually bowl that much in the test, but he got big wickets. He got Baba, Azza, Rizwan, etc. all top six batsmen. Um, just quickly before we move on to Shah Massoud, who was obviously brilliant, um, can we just appreciate Stuart Broad batting at eight in that run chase and just imagine the conversation that would have taken place between Broad and Root. Broad basically going, I'm batting eight. Um, actually, I thought... Jump, jump back into the top ten... All rounders in the world, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> what a summer! I think that says quite a lot about yeah. the the state of all round all rounders and the number of them in world cricket at the moment. But yeah. still, um, that was that you, was you marvelous. Just, sorry, Az, just going back a wee bit. You, you asked about that final day, um, Azarali, who is a cracking bloke and uh, really interesting to listen to. Uh, he's got a lovely way about him. He's got a um, nice smile as well. He has a very soft, kindly smile, mm. but. He captain like a drain that final day. So what do you think he should have done differently? Well, he, he let them milk the situation. And it was evident when they were just knocking off those runs so easily from 80 down to 70 down to 60. You have to squeeze the game. You have to dare, ask them to take a risk. You know, they didn't have to hit it in the air. They didn't have to um, engineer a situation. They, they were just allowed to play. Uh, he took 50 minutes after tea to get Yasir and the left armour together. They were clearly his two best wicket-taking options. Um, Nazim is obviously a, a diamond, but you know he's, he's, your, he's your occasional wrecking ball. Shaheen is the more polished bowler at this stage. Uh, 50 minutes after, after tea. Um, and the game was, was drifting... Uh, f- far too much for them at that point, you know. And um, when you look at it on paper, you should you should always be with a leg spinner in your side and the pitch being a bit up and down, as we saw with that Pope this official. You should never concede two hundred and seventy-seven. You should never give that up on 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 a day four pitch. Uh, so they will be really kicking themselves, Pakistan. Um, and as is new to the job, he's obviously a very experienced cricketer. Uh, but Pakistan cricket has shown you. That you don't last long in the in the big job um, if you lose if you lose big games like that big hinge games like that and under pressure for and his... under pressure because he didn't get any runs either you know got a, got a blob in the first innings uh, 
he's a pedigree cricketer, so you, you'd expect him to, to come back. But mm. but there'll be a lot of conversations, a lot of kind of soul searching as well in that dressing room. Um, thankfully, he's got probably the, the greatest collection of backroom staff I think I've <laughs> ever seen in cricket, you know, from Misbah to Waka to Mushtaq. Um, so, yeah, they will come back strong. And I think overall, they probably edged England in the game, you know, overall across the four days. Uh, so this series is by no means done. Mm. But I think, well, I, I, I agree that the, the next has to be really good ones, but... Uh, this is England, mate. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But, but, but <laughs> we'll lose by an innings next pa- week. Pakistan played about as well as they could do for those first two innings and England bowled worse than they have for quite a long time. And Shah Massoud played, it, like, it may, and you know, we're, we're about to talk about, I suppose, about whether this is, you know, the start of a, a very good world-class opener emerging, or if this was the, the innings of his life. But you're not going to have a guy hit 150 every innings, you'd think. And, you know, Paxton still only crept over 300. It's just... Yeah, but they, sure, I, I hear what you're saying, but they had a three-figure lead at half-time. Um, Babar only affected one innings um, and, you know, played... An inauspicious shot, truth be told, second morning. You know, if, if you just left left Anderson alone for half an hour, then he probably made 100. Shafiq's a good player, didn't get runs in either innings. Uh, they definitely have a longish tail, although Shadab played quite nicely, I suppose, in the first dig. Um, but I think, I think they have a more varied and interesting bowling attack than England. They clearly have a stronger spin department than England. The pitch has been, there's been very little rain around in the south. Uh, so the pitch will be dry. I know it doesn't traditionally take much spin. Um, I, I think Pakistan will take one of the next two games, especially when you consider that that was their first uh, competitive cricket match in a long time. And as Yaz said a week or two ago, it's a big advantage for England because they are match fit in the way that Pakistan aren't. So I'd be very surprised if England win this 3-0. Very, very surprised personally. I think um, he's on Baba. I think England bowled really badly to him in the first innings when he got when he got 68. Um and I don't think we've learned that much about how good he's going to be this series. Because oh, you'd, yeah, but you'd, we'll you'd, be, we'll you'd, be winning. <laughs> no, obviously people want him to do well. And based on how, how well he's done in the last two years, you'd expect him to do well. But I don't think him getting 68 with the way England bowled in that first innings is big tick for Babarazam back in England, basically, because England basically let him score 60 in no time. Um, on Sean Massoud, Phil, you've bigged him up for quite a while. And before it was cool, you, you tipped him to be a future Pakistan captain well, I'm, early, I met early him, in the year. I met him for lunch in... Uh, a cafe outside Lords uh, a few years when when they were last here 2016 I think I said this when he, when he when he was really struggling he was really struggling I think he played the first two tests Anderson sorted him out um, friend of a friend put us together and we, we had we had a lunch and he he'd agreed to give us the inside track on the Pakistan tour the Mizbah tour the press up tour and in some respects it was the tour the, the the bridge building tour after the horrors of 2010 and so on and uh, and he gave a really quite beautiful in-depth account um, of the you know the, the ebbs and flows of that summer uh, and and it came out as quite a sort of redemptive piece of work in the end and I ghosted it and it went in a magazine that I was running at the time uh, and it struck me at the time what an impressive man he was and what a kind of dignified bloke he was uh, and then I got to talk to talking to a coach who's who's been well documented that he's helped him with his game, and he said, you know, this this kid can play, he absolutely can play. So I I've always more with my heart, my head, really, just thought, oh yeah, you know, I really hope he can get it, he can get it together because 
uh, because he's an interesting uh, lad and, and, and you want these kinds of conscientious, articulate, serious-minded cricketers to crack test cricket because it, it kind of gives the game a little bit more substance, you know? And, and so I was delighted for him when he made that 100. It's worth pointing out, it was his third 100 in a row, I think it was. Um, so, you know, the, the, kid, the kid can play. Uh, and I, think, I, I think he's in his 30s, but yeah. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. But yeah, I mean, things do go, you know, players develop at certain times. Um, I, I, got a, I got a message from, uh, from Zafar Ansari who said, look, bear with me on this, but uh, I can see a bit, of, a bit of Sanger in there. Minus, obviously, the grace and the flourish, but the setup, the areas where he scores, the playing it late under the eyes, the use of wrists and so on. He said, yeah, if you squint a bit, you can see a bit of Sanger in there. And obviously, Zafar played about at the other end to him for three or four years. So, so he'll know what he's talking about. I guess to the, to the seam bowlers, he was pretty much chanceless. Like, the two chances came against Don Bess. Um, so, yeah, it was an amazing innings. It was like up, up there, I thought, with um, like the, the great edge baston hundreds we've seen in, in recent years, Smith's. And Coley's yep. in the last couple of years. Um, yep. It's brilliant. I think um, b- before we move on on onto changes, we think both teams might make for the second test. Just quickly um, on the bits of the game where England weren't very good. So there were there were periods where England, similar to Pakistan on the final day, really let the game drift away from themselves. And I think that uh, that that was a sixth test in a row England have won under Joe Root's captaincy. The one they lost recently was when Stokes was captain. So it's a great little run. I think sometimes it's too easy to compliment a captain when they've just won or have a go at them when they've just lost. So I'm going to have a go at him after they've just won. Uh, I thought there were two periods in particular that basically just gave Pakistan 40 runs and took the foot off the gas off their seamers were bowling really well. So on the day one, when the light was fading and England had the choice to either come off or bowl best and root, they could have just come off. Like No way would they be bowling best and root in 40 overs into a, into a test match in England. That is when the two chances came off Masood. That is, that is true, but that was off best, not Root. And then also on um, day two, just before the second new ball was available, uh, Root and best started after lunch. And that was when Pakistan, because England had a great first session where they, they basically took three for 50 over the course of the session. And then they took their, basically allow Pakistan to score 20, 30 runs in quick time and then the momentum had shifted and then when the new ball came, Babrazan was in, basically, and batting fluently and that could have easily cost him the game. the second day as well. That's, no, that's what I'm talking about. It was first day and second Sorry, day. Sorry, yeah. yes. Um, so there was two sessions there where I was like, England have been really good and then just completely let Pakistan back, back into the game and with someone as good as Babar, um, I don't think you can really afford to do that and they very nearly kind of lost the test match because of those two little yeah sessions. it was that that five over period 27 runs in that five over period um before the second new ball and joe bowled himself straight after lunch mm. but you've picked four seamers yeah <laughs> now okay your- okay you want them fresh sure but you just hide the ball outside off stump for for five overs uh it's not tricky you know seven two offside field Hide the ball outside, outside off stump. You leak at worst a couple of runs and over. Um, and you could even have best at the other end if you need to and tie up an end. Just hide the ball and then crack on. And yet, and yet they totally release the, the, the pressure valve. And, and sometimes with Root, you, you do wonder how quick on the draw he is. 
you know, and the really good captains, they, they, firstly, they preempt, but then they react very quickly. And sometimes with Root, you, you get the sense that a plan's been formulated at lunch or at tea, and it takes a little bit too long for the, the penny to drop that you need to change tack. Now, I'm not talking with any authority on this personally, but Nasser Hussein does know about this stuff, and he, he went to town on it on day one. You know, I think Wisdom covered it on, on the website. Pants Absolute the pants was the term. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, they are constantly evolving, this, this team. Um, the record, as you say, says 6-0, six, six oh, last six games for Root. So that, that speaks for itself. Uh, but... Um, there are other areas that they do need to discuss in the interim between between that first game and, and this upcoming one. And one of them, undoubtedly, is this t- tendency to let the game drift. Uh, I would say that, I mean, I, on, on test captaincy, I, I think that I, I agree that I don't think Root is a, a great tactical captain. And I think that's the bit that quite often gets criticised because it's the most visible part of being a test captain and you can kind of easily identify kind of cause and effect with that but I don't think it's the most important part of being a captain I, I agree at all and I think that, I agree. that Root really actually even though there were stages when he captained poorly I think he still deserves a lot of credit for this win because it's not without a hugely kind of a empathetic and caring environment which is the kind that he's created that allows a player like Joss Butler to come out and play with that freedom or a player like Chris Wokes to come out you know in the worst form of his career and choose to attack rather than kind of defend and try and play his way back into form. And I think I think Root deserves credit for the for, for, for getting match winning performances out of his players. You know, Stokes is playing better than he has it under any other captain, was brilliantly reintegrated back into the team after Australia. And I think Root deserves credit for for that kind of thing as well. I think that the the sometimes when a team is playing well, you do have to give credit to the captain because it's not an easy thing to nurture an environment where players can play to their potential and Root is can continually sure, doing that. But but the, the the vast caveat to add to that is that if you want players to play to their potential, then is Joe Root playing to his, to his potential with the bat? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I thought there were signs in the second innings that he looked like he might be enjoying himself for the first time in a while. Uh, in the first innings, it was it was not a pretty sight. Um, he looked drained. He looked second best. His feet movement and and that beautiful trigger uh, of the past he was very very leaden footed he was making his trigger movement a good second or two before the ball was bowled uh, in the good old days he used to be moving in, in fluidity to the ball uh, maybe it's because he'd been captaining for two days and had to go out and bat three there is, there is a, a legitimate point to make and even just that extra half an hour may be the difference in terms of the mental acuity that's required to bat in test cricket. But that first innings was agony. The second innings, it looked like he decided, I'm, I'm going to try and relocate some of that sparkiness, that impishness that marked his batting when he was younger. Um, you, you have to take a watching brief on this because it's, it's not an unreasonable question to ask if his, if his run making is more valuable than his leadership in the long term. At the moment, things are okay because the, the, the record is there. Uh, but you have to keep watching this uh, because we know that the average has, has fallen off a cliff since he's become captain. Um, I'm not not backing him to turn it around at all because he's pure class. Of course he is. And 
I can think now, top of my head, a couple of shots he played in the second innings that really did evoke the good old days. He ran down the pitch to to a bast to take him through mid wicket from a, a good length ball outside off stump, and and then you go, ah, there he is, there's the boy, uh, and he may well blaze away next week in in pure root style. Uh, I'm I'm never not backing him to do that, but we have to keep an eye on that. And as you say, Ben, he's fostered this environment where players can play to their potential, but we need to see it with the big dog himself. It was, I thought in the first, it was just highlighted so clearly by how fluently Ollie Pope was batting at the other end. It was almost like you saw a f- former version of Root batting with current version of Root in a way. And yeah. it was like almost sad seeing how much he was struggling. Yeah, um, but I, I agree though. What, in the what not that was again, the 60 odd, I know. Oh yeah. Just like the 90 odd <laughs> against... West Indies, you know, I mean, this kid. And also kid. the two balls in the game that got him out were probably the, the two balls of the yeah. game as well. You know, that's that's what it takes a moment to get. Yeah, I mean, he was pulling Nazim Shah in front of square all on the floor, 90 mile an hour bullets <laughs> against the newish ball. I mean, bloody hell. Ben, ben Stokes will miss the remainder of England's test series against Pakistan for family reasons. He will leave the UK in the coming days and travel to New Zealand where his family is based. Daniel Lawrence has also left the England group after a family bereavement. Our thoughts are, of course, with both the Stokes and Lawrence family. Um, in terms of how that affects the team, Ben, do you just expect Zach Crawley to come in for Stokes and move up to three? Or do you think he'll get a bit funky in replacing Stokes? Uh, well, I, I guess that the thing is for me is that Zach Crawley is not a, a proper replacement for Stokes as a batsman yet. I mean, Stokes is one of the best batsmen in the world. Zach Crawley is, you know, finding his feet, first average of 30 you know, he's, you can't expect him to, to make up for those returns, even if he's going to be a very good player. You do keep in the banging long... out these stats about Crawley, don't you? Well, they exist. It's so... a bit of a hobby horse. <laughs> well, do, do you want to hear a good one? If he scores less than 23 in the test, his first class average falls under 30. Um, to me, however good a player, I think I've made this point before on the pod, however good a player he is, he just shouldn't be in the England team right now, basically. <laughs> he should be playing. He should be playing first-class cricket. Yeah. He should be playing first-class cricket and scoring hundreds. He's only scored three first-class hundreds. However good a player he will be, he'll be better off scoring runs there. Uh, to me, it's just really simple. Does anyone in the country think he's in the top six batsman available to England now? Like, really? I don't have any issue at all him being in the top really? six of England. No, I don't. Because I think he's a good player. And he, they're, they're, play, they're playing on... There are good players who aren't in the England team. Like, <laughs> Sure, sure. But he, he is also a good player and they're going on potential. I don't have any issue with that at all. But wh- why, why are they going on they've seen, potential? They've seen something in him over and above two seasons of county cricket, which with the vagaries therein can, can lead to all kinds of things. It's not a nice place to bat down at Canterbury. Um, they've seen something in him. Uh, to my untrained eye, I've seen something in him as well. Uh I think he will become a more rounded player than the top two. I think his long-term future, if he does crack test cricket, will probably be as an opening batsman for what it's worth. Uh, I don't have any issue with him being in this side. I I genuinely don't. I I can see that there are other good candidates, sure. But I don't see that there being a surfeit of candidates in the top three, particularly. I mean, there are... There are candidates to bat four and five in this in in county cricket. Absolutely, I don't personally have an issue with him, and and I I'm, I'm not overly concerned about the stats. Whenever I've not whenever I've seen him, but often when I've seen him, I've just thought that there is there is something there, something uh, a little bit unusual. He made an eighty at the Oval here last year. All right, good place to bat, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it was all class. I thought he played very well in the trial game. I thought he played well in the second innings of uh, the, the the first test match. 
The second test match, he, he got a blob and then they were hitting out irrelevantly in the second innings. That's that's his last touch in test cricket. Um, I, I I can see what they see in him. Uh, and I've looked looked beyond the beyond the stats. Uh, it's a it's a nascent early career, uh, and and they are interestingly taking a punt on that. Yeah, I, I guess I I just think that I, I agree that there's lots there, lots of like when you see certain shots, even certain whole innings, that you're like, yeah, I can see why. But I just feel like it's really really tough on a guy to ask him to learn the art of scoring hundreds, basically, in. Test cricket against, against that against, attack against Nazim Shah, Sheena Freedy, Mohammad Abbas, Yazid Shah, like sure, but it, but it would be a it would be an ask to bring anybody in, however old they are. There's there's no there's no titan. Tell me if there is, and I genuinely might be wrong here. Is there a titan of county cricket that is being shamefully ignored to bat three for England? Well, in my opinion, it's Gary Balance, but that's probably a conversation for another <laughs> podcast. Uh, but I, I guess. My point was more that however good Zach Crawley might be is right now, he's not as good a batsman as Ben Stokes. So I think that England will want to bring in... Uh, or, well, my, my, it, it, I think they should bring in Sam Curran for James Anderson probably to bolster that batting down the order and then you, you, get, you get maybe somewhere close to... Disappointingly, that's the, the team that I've picked as well. Uh, mm. I've picked Crawley at three and Curran at eight with Wokes staying at seven. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the the other intriguing possibility in my mind is to would be to bring. I, mean, I I think that Butler should be given more time in the gloves to show that the last test was an aberration rather than him not being able to keep on pitches that turn a bit. But bringing folks in would be the other way, and then have probably a four quicks and root to bowl spin would be an option. I think, but I think that's a bit too funky. And England have rightly gone away from trying mm. to like you know meddle too much and have you know players who are keepers playing as batsman and that sort of thing. So Don Bess is not going to dominate the test match and bowl, you know, 60 overs unless England are really <laughs> struggling. <laughs> so so the Butler question can be parked for the for the moment, I think. Uh, I don't think folks will feature next week and I don't think he should. Yeah, um I I'd still like to see Jack Leach play. He got all those right-handers in the Pakistan order. A case uh, to be made, definitely a case to be made. Bess has got seven wickets this summer so far. He's not bowled badly. He's not bowled great. Uh, he was quite good at containing in the West Indies series, less good in the first Pakistan test. I think even if they were exactly as good as each other as bowlers, I'd, I'd pick Leach just because of the left-hand, right-hand thing. Yeah, um, I think, I think I'd, and this is probably the England should be picking teams just to win test match, in which case maybe Leach should come in, but just kind of worry a little bit about the message that would almost send to Bess, uh, especially when they haven't talked at the beginning of the summer as they did with the quicks about, you know, rotating the spinners mm. as per, you know, make the line, which would make it an easier dis- discussion to have. But for Bess to have, you know, a few chances go down off his bowling and then to emerge with things that don't look too pretty, having actually bowled, like, reasonably well in that first game, mm. is going to be, like, a, quite a, could be quite a knock on the confidence and, like, un, sort, of, sort of unfairly so in a way because of just how the summer's evolved, not because it would actually be unfair to do so, I guess. Yeah, I don't think it's that dissimilar to the, the, the Crawley discussion. I think Bess is basically being asked to develop as a cricketer in the England Test team against pretty good players of spin in conditions that aren't that helpful for spin bowling. It's a massive ask he's been given and kind of linked to the Crawley discussion. I think that there's a risk of a, a guy learning the game 
learning his own game in test cricket might do more harm than good potentially in the long run if he has a really tough time of it basically um and i just worry with Bess if he's england's incumbent spinner going into the winter suddenly you go from it's okay to do a containing job in england to you've got to take wickets for us in india um i i do worry that might be one step too far for him just now um probably rather have leach being the main guy on on those winter tours but yeah i guess the one the one key difference between bess and crawley in terms of their development is that bess will almost struggle to develop as a spinner in country at playing four day games versus being a spinner in five day games where he'll get to bowl a little bit more whereas crawley as a batsman will get a lot more time in the middle mm. playing country cricket than he will that's true that's uh, true um because it'll just get game time as well quickly on on the england team there's, there's a bit of uh, yeah, Anderson and Arch came in for a bit of stick at various times in that test. Archer, by the way, did still finish with four for eighty odd in the game. Um, Sums up the Archer, yeah. Criticism, doesn't it? <laughs> George the Bell of ESPN Crick Info wrote of Archer: They thought they had found the new Malcolm Marshall. Instead, it looks as if they have another Craig Overton, which is a little bit harsh, I think, on Josh Archer. But then, in, in elegant George style, he then said, "I think Craig Overton's an absolutely top class cricketer." Yeah, very George. But very, very when we come onto the Willis, we'll see that's absolutely true as well. That, that, is, that is true. That is true. But more in terms of paces, uh, you know, Craig Overton bowls what seventy six to seventy nine miles per hour. Archer still average speed of yeah, Craig can 84. get a bit quicker than that. He can get up to eighty three. But yeah, Archer's 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 ra- he is still rarely dipping as as low as eighty three. He's, he's eighty five, and even in this test, I'm not sure he breached ninety too often. But there, but there were times when he was up at eighty eight. Mm. You know, which and yeah, I mean. I, he said it himself, though, that he is not an active choice to bowl slower. But he also said this wasn't a pitch to bend your back on, right? He was saying that he thought Nazim Shah wouldn't have the same effect. And I suppose mm-hmm. in the second innings, maybe he was proven right in a way. I don't know. Um, uh, I can't, I can't, uh, it's really tough with Archer because you kind of feel you're not getting the full story in a lot of ways. You're not, basically, we're not sure why he's not bowling quick. You're not, we're not sure how much of it is a, is a conscious decision or how much of it is that he thinks this is the way to bowl on this pitch and you're not sure if it's um if it's not a constitution whether it's down to just form and rhythm or whether it's down to being over bowled whether it's down to you know lingering injury a pretty serious injury you got in the winter mm. um that you know is going to take time to to come back from even though he has a long had a long period off uh and then after that i guess if even if you were to come to a conclusion about his pace that he's only going to breach 90 miles an hour very occasionally and you know there have been times this summer even if it wasn't this test match that he's bowled that quickly you have to wonder whether he is a skillful enough uh you know an accurate enough bowler to command a place on the side as a guy who can get to a high 80s and do enough with the ball mm. and uh and not ever bowl badly as i think is still fair to say of him in england test colors i think yeah all very fair um on, on anderson there was speculation that he might be calling it a day um between the test matches he rubbished those suspicions but um yeah, Phil. How, how do you think Anderson bowled in that in that Test match? He, I thought he bowled quite well actually. Yeah, in I, the, I with a new ball, was unlucky, and then bowled maybe one spell where he wasn't great. Yeah, he bowled one spell after lunch, maybe on day one, a three-over spell that was un-Anderson-like and let Baba settle in. But then he nicked him off in the first ten minutes of the following morning and bowled bowled nicely on day two. Um, he he didn't have much. Much luck in the second innings. Um, the figures kind of reflected that. I don't think uh, Anderson's by any stretch played his last game for England, but uh, he, he, 
it doesn't make my 11 for this upcoming test match. I think that the rotation policy is a legitimate and, and totally sensible one. And, and uh, I'd be surprised if he plays both of these games. Uh, obviously, look, it's... It, I don't know. I feel like Anderson's so unique. He's such a physical freak that we can't begin to to even even call it one way or the other. I think it, I think he's kind of earned the right to call it himself. And he's such a he's a raging spirit, Jimmy Anderson, and he's so consumed by proving people wrong and almost becoming a new physical specimen of test cricket. He wants to keep saying he wants to play till he's 41 and go to Australia next year. Uh, it's, it, we just shouldn't, we shouldn't rule anything out with Jimmy Anderson. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I, I think, I think the Anderson conversation we come to at the end of the test summer, I think he'll certainly play one of the next two games. Um, and, and then does he go to India does he want to go to India? He'll certainly want to. <laughs> do England want to take him or do they want to say, have a, have a winter off, go and do tail enders and then get, get fit and ready for next summer? He, he won't be walking away, I don't think, because he is a, an extraordinary composite of, of physical and mental perfection for the job in hand. Um, and despite the fact that he's about 57, uh, I still wouldn't, be at all surprised if he's bowling for England next summer at all. Yeah, there, there was a time in the South Africa tour, I think, when he was doing some stuff in the, in the TV studio uh, and he, uh, he said, uh, am I going to be bowling when I'm still bowling when I'm 45? Probably not. <laughs> but it's like, not yeah. definitely not. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, and I suppose, I mean, again, we're going to get onto the Willis, but Darren Stevens, you know. Also, just on the pace thing, Anderson, um, he, he, he bowled quite sharp in the second innings. Mm -hmm. He bowled 83, 84 consistently. Uh, in a in a five man attack, there's there should always be a space uh, for for the Anderson equation without a doubt. Um, he'll offer you control. He'll offer you control when he's when he's in an OAP's home. He'll still be able to land it on on the spot with his eyes closed. But the pace is interesting to 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 watch. You know there doesn't seem to be any fallout there at all, or or, or fall away rather at all there. The the question though, I guess it was also if Anderson, if even if there is like a slight decline. Uh, with how good Wokes is bowling now and how good Broad is bowling now, it, it feels like, I mean, just partly just on the evidence of this summer, but like, like if I were picking like a first choice attack, like say if I was picking attack for the World Test Championship final, say next summer, I wouldn't have Anderson in it, I think. I would go with Broad, Wokes, Notching. That's England's best attack at home right now. And that is a new stage that we have never been in before, I think. Uh, yeah. That's my attack for this for this game based on form, uh, but yeah, Anderson remains a part of the setup for as long as he wants to. Yeah, um, just a little word on Ollie Robinson called up to the squad. Yeah, dragged out of the Sussex game. We'll get to that later. Yeah, <laughs> averages seventeen over the last since twenty eighteen, I think something like that. Seventeen yeah. point something. I read that this morning. Uh, I, th I think I banged on about this in the trial game. I just thought he bowled beautifully. So I, he's in, he's actually in my team for the for the second test, partly because um, I think it is important for them to rotate the squad because squ they talked about it at the start of the summer. But then suddenly you don't want to be in a situation where England lose this test match and then suddenly their first choice attack have just played three test matches on the bounce 
and then you actually have to just <laughs> rest one of the, one of your big guns. So I I I'm leaving out Ar- Archer and Anderson and bring in Curran and Robinson, um, and also Jason Holder was is quite a Robinson-like bowler and bowled very very well in Southampton. If the pitches are similar, I think Robinson's got a good chance of doing. So who are you well. bringing for for Stokes? Yes. Crawley. Okay. So Crawley is in the team. Just out of the guys in the bubble, I think he's a yeah, main centre in the team. Just mentioned but, yeah. Dan Lawrence has left the bio bubble as well, hasn't he? You for, mentioned that. I mentioned that. I mentioned that. Don't, I'm listening. This don't, week. Don't, don't you, John Campbell? Me. Um, <laughs> um, and then very quickly on on Pakistan, Ben. Do you think they'll make any changes? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I guess the question coming into the game was sort of around that, that Shadab Khan number seven spot, where they go with kind of the he's he's kind of similar sort of player for them to Sam Curran they're not quite sure if he's like a he doesn't really make sense but yeah, he does but well he's definitely contributed in that game uh, the the player they could bring in is is Farad Alam who has you know he's Gary Balance plus 10 runs on his average you know played three tests 11 years ago in the first they made 166 in the third innings before opening the batting about, yeah and he's not an opener yeah and Pakistan then lost about 30 for 9 I think to lose the game uh, and then uh, and then, yeah, has, has just continued to churn out the runs, including even last season when they've got this new kind of like very concentrated strength of teams where there's mm. I think six teams and he's still, you know, head and shoulders above the rest in that, in that and, and has got a very good one day from that time in the, when he's got to play, uh, which again is not often enough and is so it is in this squad, but isn't getting a game. So he's, he's the guy they could bring in, uh, but I don't think they will. I think that Shadab Khan has did not do well. He obviously wasn't as potent as Yazid Shah, but I think that they will like having that kind of the extra option in kind mm. of both ways that gives them. Um, and so, yeah, I think they probably will sit the same team. Can you imagine English cricket Twitter if Fawad Alam was English and had a first-class batting average of 56, scored 100 on Test Match debut and was consistently just left out of every every team? Well, it um, could go one of two ways. It could be like, why, do, why does Ed Smith hate county cricket? Or like... He's been found out. He's just not good enough for Test cricket. He's, he's not a, been found out. Well, that's, but that's that's what we'd say. Wouldn't yeah, it? <laughs> true. It was eleven years ago as well. Anyway, on to the Willis. Um, the reason why we're really here. Uh, we're recording this on the fourth morning of the second round of fixtures, so things might change a little bit before this goes out. Um, the bigger story is Kent's extraordinary win over Sussex that saw them lose just one wicket in the match. Sussex were bowled out for three hundred thirty-two in their first innings. Before Kent scored five hundred three for one from their one hundred twenty overs. With Jordan Cox and Jack Leaney both scoring double tonders, they put on 423 for the second wicket, which was Kent's highest ever first-class partnership. Darren Stevens obviously finished the job off with the second innings Pfeiffer at the age of 44. Jack Jack Leaney also took an incredible catch at slip about yeah. 10 minutes after having <laughs> yeah. walked off, made 200 in like eight hours or yeah. something. Do we, do we have any, any stats around this? So to win by an innings and only lose one wicket yourself. So it hasn't happened in uh, like thirty years. Like Pakistan did it in a tour in game in first class cricket. In, yeah. Wow. So, so they, yeah. Jordan, so exciting, Jordan Cox, I think, is Kent's highest maiden hundred. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, Kent's, oh, that's it, not so interesting. Kent's really. Big, well, but but Jordan Cox is an exciting. Like he was. He was. Yeah. So you you were out this much better if you talk about him. But he was a uh, very highly rated going into the under nineteen World Cup. Didn't really get a run there, but um, has obviously got quite a lot about him I think he's uh, uh, from all reports he's, he's quite confident in his own ability uh, so but looks a really good player from from that and also quite versatile as well so he scored 238 opening the batting he's just 19 but he's also a wicketkeeper as well he's a very good wicketkeeper he's not uh, uh, keeping wicket at the moment for Kent because they've got 
the other Ollie Robinson. They've also got Sam Billings. Um, so also well well done Kent on producing this number of good young cricketers, uh, good young batsmen as well. Sussex must um, be cursing England so much for the yeah, Ollie Robinson I mean, thing right now. But yeah, Ollie Robinson being taken out of that fixture just before the game started. Um, so Sussex not fielding their strongest available attack. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting year for John Cox. He scored one off six against Nigeria in the Under-19 World Cup. And he's also got this double hundred at the age of 19. Um, elsewhere, Derbyshire made it two wins on the bounce in the North Group. So they're top in the North Group at the moment. They beat Leicester by 10 wickets. Wade Madsen with 100 there. And young English leggy Matt Critchley with a six for in the second innings. Matt Critchley was tipped to play for England by Stuart McGill earlier this year. Um, so watch out for him. And but Weird stumping as well. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah, you the weird stumping. One, Phil? Uh, was this the, the Hussein yeah, stumping where he just... St- standing back, just sort of lobbed in the stumps. in from 10 yards away. Yeah, and Hassan Azad, who, you know, you know, you've only got, you know, 14 innings or so, maybe you can't be losing them like that when you're, <laughs> when you're trying to build on your first summer. And, and mm. I thought Hassan Azad's actually, his reaction that was so... He, he kind of just like accepted it and walked off. Like, you'd expect more of a reaction, I think, from a batsman to get out in such an old and frustrating way I suppose but he I think just I just think you want to get off yeah. you want to leg it <laughs> yeah. especially now with everything being filmed as well yeah. you know that's going to be out on Twitter before you've got back to the pavilion um, yeah and elsewhere Lancashire thumped Durham they bowled them out twice for a combined total of 290 um, Somerset beat Northampton in a very fun game Northampton bowled out for 67 in their first innings but we're actually in, still in the game with Somerset 53 for 6 in their second for the Overton Twins took the game away from Northampton with the bat um, both scoring quick runs. I think they combined score like 120 off 75 between them. And the highest um, score from some, some, Somerset are just their bowlers. Somerset's highest score yeah. in the game from their top six was like 30. And then the Overton scored all the runs. Jack Brooks got some more quick runs. He's yeah. averaging about 100 for season, I think. <laughs> um, um, and then the Overton's also bowl as well, don't they? So Craig took a first innings four for and Surrey bound Jamie took four for not many in the second. Elsewhere, at the time of recording, Hampshire look on course to beat Middlesex. Um, Game slightly marred by quite a bad injury to Liam Dawson, which means that he will miss the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, what happened? Uh, it's not sure exactly what happened, but he was batting. Yeah, while he? he was batting, he just kind of hit the floor after playing a shot and turns out it's like a ruptured ligament, had to oh, be what? stretched off. Mm. Yeah, and just So uh, that, if it's a ruptured ligament, so he won't be available for the winter? I don't but, think they've I mean, confirmed uh, that yet. D- but. It's January next year. Oh, of course, it's post-Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, but it's post-Christmas. Yeah, yeah okay, it's fine. But but I think that there was probably a real opportunity to play, to play some quite a lot of white ball cricket for England at the mm. end of the summer with you know Ali struggling for form and he's obviously always been very good in that for Hampshire so that's a, that's an opportunity lost yeah. and really sad for yeah. him yeah yeah a serious effort from Hampshire because they they had another bowler go off injured as well I think so basically yeah. um uh but to then bowl out Middlesex for two hundred or so in the second is a uh, especially Middlesex yeah, young, played brilliantly last week so it's a young Felix Organ who's mm. a batsman by trade took four wickets with his off spin. Elsewhere, Yorkshire and Notts is evenly poised. Quite a crucial game because with the format, uh, the two teams qualifying for the final will be the best two group winners. So not only do you need to win your group, you need to make sure you get lots of points. And with uh, Somerset starting very strongly in the central group and Essex looking likely to have two from two in the south group, I think Yorkshire really need to win that game um, to kind of keep qualification for the final in their own control. Um, Johnny Bairstow, 75 at number three, mm-hmm. I noticed. So at number three? Yeah. <laughs> and he's keeping uh, as well. He Just making, making sure he has all cases covered. You went to Chelmsford um, yesterday? Briefly. I did go. Uh, not briefly, I was there the whole day, actually. I mean, a brief re- response. 
entering to, to God's own county, of course. Yeah, so... Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. Um, I mean, just quickly on that game, Essex need nine wickets on the final day to beat, sorry, the pitch. Uh, wasn't great. All the batsmen struggled Never to is. stay in. Deliberately so. Yeah, uh, I think Big five, side. sorry, uh, sorry, five Essex batsmen got out between 30 and 50 yesterday. Um, so, yeah, um, a little bit of uneven bounce too. So, fairly sure Essex will... We'll win that one. But I thought it was interesting just kind of like just realising how obviously Essex have won two of the last three county championships, but just realising the potential, of, you know, this, they've got a potential dynasty here kind of in the county championship in particular, just because if you go through their team, other than Dan Lawrence, who's not playing at the moment, you can't really see any of them playing for England anytime soon. So they're not going to lose many players. Um, Tennis Garter's not playing at the moment. They've lost lost Ravi Bapara as well, but the guys who've come in are doing well as well. So Feroz Cushy in his second first-class game, uh, looks like quite quite a good player described to me uh, as Ravi 2.0 in every way possible which is which is obviously great if you're an Essex fan um, and also Paul Walter who you'll probably know more from his bowling in white ball cricket he played pretty much every game in their uh, last campaign last season um, he's predominantly a batsman in red ball cricket though um, and he scored loads of runs opening the batting in the suit in the twos um, but did well at number six yesterday um, yeah, it's quite interesting how he's not gone on loan, basically, when it's quite a hard team to get into. So, yeah, I'd expect Essex to do. They're probably, they're probably favourites for this Bob Willis trophy and you can't really see them getting much weaker in the next few years in in the county championship as well and just a very uh, well-rounded team. Um, and then in, in the other games, Gloucestershire and Warwickshire's pretty evenly poised as well. I wanted to say one more thing, which is Jake Libby and Basil Oliveira put on a... Sorry. Yeah, Jake Livy and Brett Oliveira put on a <laughs> uh, put on three hundred and ten for 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 one of the wickets in in Wisher's game, and uh, and it's not even the biggest part of the round, and no one's talking about it. So. That's true. That's true. I, I mean, I very nearly didn't talk about it. On to women's domestic cricket. So just this morning, the be announced that a month-long eighteen competition called the Rachel Heho Flint Trophy will take place, starting on the August Bank Holiday weekend. The teams will effectively represent the eight newly formed regions of the women's elite domestic structure. Do you want to hear the, the team names? Got some got some good ones and some less good ones. Go on. Um, we've got the Central Sparks. Like it. Lightning. Just Lightning. Northern Diamonds. Thunder. Southeast Stars. Southern Vipers. Sunrisers, Western Storm. So they're, they're your eight teams. The availability. It's a bit of a hodgepodge, isn't it? Yeah. Of various yeah. tournaments and names. Yeah. Um, I like Thunder and Lightning. No, no, nothing more or less than that. With no Stormy ge- ge- geographical one, yeah. location attached to them. Mizzle. Um, <laughs> the availability of England's women's century contract players. Sorry, Ben just almost fell off his chair. Um, Did he? Shame we're not Phil win this one. That was excellent. <laughs> Phil's um, got his feet on the table. So. Yeah. All right, don't turn your nose up. Come on, crack on. <laughs> the availability of England's women's centrally contracted players will be known once the international schedule has been confirmed, which hasn't quite been confirmed yet. Uh, all players who take part in the competition will be paid to play with the exception of the centrally contracted players. Um, and finally, some good news about international cricket outside of England. New Zealand announced last night that they expect West Indies, Pakistan, Bangladesh and Australia to tour their men's teams this winter and Australia to tour their women's team. New Zealand have gone 100 days without community transmission of COVID-19 and they're confident of putting on a full home summer of international cricket, which is... Against how many teams? News. Did you name four so teams? Four, four teams. But that was what was pre-COVID. That was the expected right. um, summer. So New Zealand world the place test, to be. Indeed, the yeah, only place to be. Yeah, quite, yeah. Uh, world Test Championship Series against the West Indies and Pakistan and white ball stuff against Bangladesh and Australia. It, it is very good news, but it does make the ICC's 
decision to postpone the Women's World Cup in New Zealand seem all the more questionable. And they've since kind of, because they've realised that, you know, there's not really an argument in terms of the safety of it for postponing. They've said, oh, the, 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 the women's team just won't be able to get the practice in beforehand, which if you, you know, follow women's cricket, you know that they're often going into these tournaments without a huge amount of practice beforehand. And it seems that it's a decision made without really consulting the players about the amount of practice they'll be able to get because Heather Knight, who's not, she's, you know, she's, she's very diplomatic, not often critical of these sorts of things was was coming out saying on Twitter like uh, I hope that you know they've thought about the right things they're making this decision and Alicida was sort of saying yeah, I can't believe we agree on something for once uh, so yeah that, that that is a a sad thing for what could have been a you know a, a really big and kind of you know uh, for, for, for a sport when there's you know there's not a huge amount else going on in the world have a, a global tournament going on like the only World Cup the only world event being played in any sport almost for 12 months could have been huge and it's the chance is gone mm. Mm. Absolutely. Anyway, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Ben. That's right. If you've enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. And if you're feeling especially kind, why not leave us a five-star review on the podcast app. Cheers. Podcast Network.